Hello, you're uh, listening to the Track and Food Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jamie Ma. Sitting to my left today, as always, is my co-host, Mick. Yo! And today we brought in another special guest. His name is Chris Enns. He's a bartender here in Vancouver. He works at the famed Fairmont Pacificum Hotel. Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you kindly. Hi, Chris. Hello, hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well, thank you. <laughs> Boys, how are you, how are you guys doing today? So, uh, I'm today? good. I'm. It's Tuesday. We usually record on Monday, so I'm, it's a bit strange, I have to say. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's probably my fault, right? We didn't record yesterday. That's your fault. What, what were you doing on Sunday, Jamie? Well, uh, Sunday, was, well, Sunday was my birthday party, but Woo! yesterday was my birthday. Can we get a slow clap for Jamie? It's his happy, happy belated birthday. <laughs> Thank you. My sincerest apologies that I could not attend. I had, uh, obviously, money to make at my bar. Yeah, I tried. But, I tried. That's okay. You both had to work that night. Ditto. So I'm, I'm yeah, not going yeah. to give you guys any uh, flack for that one. But no, uh, you're not getting off the hook, though. I'm taking you out for beers. <laughs> maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow at some point. Okay, that sounds good. This Sunday, I had some uh, people over at my house and we had a nice little birthday party, which was a lot of fun. And it was nice to kind of get some friends over and, and drank a little bit too much. And we, But we did have some birthday cake, which was always nice. And uh, yeah. What I, was the cake? I'm, I'm I was, super yeah, curious. I'm an ice cream cake fan myself. What do you... Uh, uh, no, uh, there's a bakery here in, in, in Vancouver, right inside Gaston called Cadeau. And I usually get my cakes from there. And it's cute. And me, it's just always simple chocolate cake with chocolate icing. And this one, I think, was like a praline style chocolate cake. So it was <laughs> good. But the funny thing is, is that I'm the type of person where like I love sweets and I love chocolate cake. But I only want one slice. So... My girlfriend and her, uh, one of my friend's girlfriends were like cutting up the cake for everyone. And we we're all kind of just hanging out. So the way I usually do it with birthday cakes is I think you should just, if there's, you see how many people are there and you just cut the whole cake. Even division. Yeah. yeah you just, you just get rid of the whole cake. Yeah. Cause I feel like if you leave it, you're just never going to eat it. But the girls, what they did is they cut really thin slices and we had like three quarters of a cake left over. <laughs> so like near the end of the night, I was like, what are we going to do with all this? And no one was taking any. So we took one of my fellow coworkers, TJ we basically bribed him i was like here take the cake home and he's like i'm not gonna eat a whole cake like half a cake so he's gonna eat a whole cake so yeah. we basically we basically stuffed him full of beers and said here i'll give you all these beers if you just take this cake home and then he texted me yesterday and his girlfriend woke up in the morning she's like did you steal his cake <laughs> but he couldn't remember he could actually couldn't remember why we had taken the cake he's like why do i have all this cake so you wake up in the morning with a backpack full of beers and a cake yeah. uh, in your kitchen like, so uh, successful birthday yeah, yeah so i think uh, that's for, for, for and it's not yeah. even his yeah. birthday yeah. <laughs> but I think that kind of gives you an idea of what the kind of party I had. But we had a good time. Yesterday Yesterday was a little bit haggard and slow, but uh, I feel good today. I feel great. I'm excited. You look to good. Do you look healthy. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And Chris, he is a well-known bartender here in Vancouver. He's originally from Saskatoon, my hometown. Whoop! Represent! Yeah. 306. Prairies! <laughs> We've also brought him on today because he is the recent winner of the Woodford Reserve North American uh, so it was a uh, uh, North American wide uh, 40 markets. There was also a competition, a smaller one in Australia as well, where the gentleman, Matt, who won, came out to New York for his prize, if you will. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but that was the, the, the Woodford Reserve market of it called the uh, Manhattan Experience. You just came back from New York City. Yes. It was uh, three rounds. So the regionals are in their city. So we start in Vancouver. Each of those winners will go to Louisville for three or four days tour the cooperage uh woodford and brown foreman are the only distillery that make their own barrels 
Uh, so they make their own barrels. They, they're oh. the only ones who own, own their own cooperage, make their own barrels, so huh. they control uh, immensely the quality of oak, the charring, toasting, uh, yeah, yeah, if you will. And then all the markets competed in Louisville. The top six went on to New York afterwards for the finals, if you will. And awesome. you were the grand yes, winner. Yes, Yay. yes, very exciting. It was very cool. And uh, we did our little presentation and worked a shift after at the Nomad Hotel, which is on uh, yeah, 28th and Broadway. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, well, that's, that's uh, awesome, Chris. And then the other reason why I want to bring him on is Chris is about to compete in the Diageo uh, Globe, or Canadian final here. And he's going to be doing that next week, actually. He's heading off to Montreal for that. And we and Mickey and I had talked previously about that one on our second podcast. I think we talked about the Diageo competition. Absolutely, yeah. And Chris was one of the semifinal winners. Who? Oh, yeah. How's that yeah. experience for you? Uh, it's this great. Is, this yeah. was the one at the botanist, correct? Yes, yeah. and you <clears throat> definitely had a chance to see I did, the whole I did contest. I, did. I was back and forth yeah. in the prep room. Um, it's yeah, it's great. World class is. Wait, were you the guy who did the pina coladas? No, 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 no. that was uh, Josh. <laughs> that was Josh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Chris is the one who did the immersion blenders. Oh so yeah, instead awesome. of dry shaking with the egg whites, I just took uh, espresso milk frothers, little handhelds, yeah, and, the little uh, stuck them in. Yeah. Took that opportunity to talk to the judges while those little mechanisms did the work for me. Uh-huh. Which is, I think, uh, I thought that was really cool, actually. They would, I'm sure they would have used that in the early days if that technology was around. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. absolutely. Um, well, that's super interesting. Tell me a little bit about your drink. Uh, so for the first round we did, uh, it was uh, sort of a speed comp. So we had five drinks to put up. Yeah. It was based on, on Time Flies was the theme. So I went with nostalgia and, and things that I had in my memory. So we did a banana penicillin. It's like a banana daiquiri penicillin. You remember having mm. banana medicine as a kid? I do. And that was the kind of the first <laughs> thing of, of, of having like an apothecary medicine that tasted good. So drink on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we I love, I'm a huge fan of chartreuse and Fernand, anything that has sort of a medicinal vibe to it. Very herbaceous yeah. notes to Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we did a cream soda fizz, like a Ramos gin fizz. That was the frother, but cream soda flavored. So vanilla kind of creaminess. Uh-huh. Uh, what else did we do, Lord? Bloody Mary. Okay. So that was in the smoke box. Okay. So we yeah, smoked, I remember, smoked I the that, Bloody yeah. Mary. I, I used to make Virgin Caesars and tomato juice when I was like six years old. Go in the fridge and mix different pickle brines and, and whatnot. So totally. Okay. That was a nostalgia. Chocolate milk. So we did a cho- <laughs> okay. chocolate boulevardier. And uh, I know when I was a kid, I always blew bubbles in the chocolate milk. Yeah. So we had bubbled ice cubes that were coconut waters. So that would kind of get how, okay. Little, how do you make something like that? Is that gelatin? Or? Uh, it's just actually the, just the mold of it was little circle bubbles, just the particular shape. Coconut water, okay, a little bit so of coconut extract to yeah. emphasize the flavor, okay. so it gives a little little flavor as it dilutes. Interesting. And uh, there's one more drink I can't remember. Oh. No, no, that's I, you're making me very thirsty. Right now, so this is uh, this is <laughs> well, all you good. didn't bring any wine. Yeah, I'm pretty. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm pretty uh, shocked, I and I actually got a lot of. I got I got some really good bottles for my birthday gifts from friends, actually. So, I uh, hold out on me, man. I did, yes. Um, Chris, so you are originally from Saskatoon, like yes. myself. You've been bartending for how long? Would you say uh, about a decade? About a decade now. So, yeah, about ten years. Was there a reason why you got into bartending? Is there like why you've taken it so far? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's always been as a means to to sort of supplemental money. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in the restaurant industry since I was 15, dishwashing, you know, in high school to make the extra cash on the side, if you will. Okay. Me too. Uh, it's keep that hustle, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, through university, it was a means to, to help pay for tuition. So I would take three, four classes a term, work part time and, and kind of a pay as you go, if you will. So okay. I, I'd try not to take any debt on. 
And uh, I, after a while, just fell in love with it. I like crafting something with my hands, talking to guests. There's always an opportunity to keep learning and keep educating yourself, whether it's through cocktails, beers, wine, just spirit, hospitality. Was it, was there like having starting in hospitality? I think the three of us have all been doing it for a long time now. Mm. Was there, cause I can remember the moment where I really fell in love with hospitality. Was there, yeah. a, was there a moment or a restaurant or a bar or a person who like kind of got you excited about being in this industry possibly long-term? Like, was there experience? Yeah. You know, I think it was a combination. I've always had great people that I've worked with, really hardworking and inspiring. We were talking on our way when we both started at Earl's. Yeah, Earl's is uh, So my roommate and who I worked with, Chris Cole, was uh, absolutely fantastic and, and uh, really wanted me to, to work alongside him, get a little bit more involved. When I went to the Sheraton at 612 Lounge, we put the first classic menu in the city. So we had like Sazeracs, Crustas, Juleps. Nice. And um, my bar manager, Steve, at the time, really inspiring. We went out to Tales of the Cocktail, and that was kind of my aha moment. Is that when you, you went to Tales of the Cocktail? Tales what in uh, 2013. 2013. And that was uh, – so there's 20,000 people who have decided to do this industry as well. So I felt, and okay, we're, we're, we're at home. This is a for good our, For our listeners out there, if you don't know what Tales of the Cocktail is, do you want to kind of maybe explain? Uh, Tales is the largest trade brand consumer gathering for beverage cocktail – fine drinking, if you will, 20,000 20, to 22,000 people gather in New Orleans in the third week of July. Mm. Uh, incredibly hot, um, but absolutely fun. It's it's really, really good time. Yeah, no, it's I, like I'm, I've never gone to Tales, but I mean, having known a lot of bartenders, uh, good friends of mine, they generally say it's probably like the, the you know, the, the Comic-Con of the bartending yes, industry yeah, for it's, sure. It's, it's, it's yeah. definitely who do, who do we know, which lo- what local Vancouver bar heavyweights have competed in that? It's not, it's not really a competition. It's more like a, it's like a big expo, industry, expo kind of like an industry oh, gathering. All the, all the big okay. brands are there. They, they put oh, on, uh, so they put much. on, sh- they put on seminars. They put on, um, classes. They classes, do, there's, there's, classic New Orleans parades, yeah. uh, midnight lunches, rooftop pool parties. One of my favorite times was, uh, Pernod, uh, Ricard Pastis. We had a pool party in the Monteleone at nine in the morning. Oh, so an absence swizzle yeah. and cannonballs. <laughs> yeah. It like it's, it's, it's basically, you know, a bartender's wet dream where you're, you're going to go there and you're just, you know, well, I mean, anybody, I mean, you have to be a bartender. I mean, I'm just saying a hospitality's <laughs> wet dream where you, you just go there and you just, you, there's, you know, like I've heard there's big seminars on ice. There's seminars on bitters or seminars on ice cutting, you know, yeah. just awesome. anything like that. So like, if you're really looking to kind of be a part of the forefront and the cutting edge of the industry, especially now where the industry has really taken off for the last like 10, 10, 15 years. Uh-huh. I mean, Tales is kind of like the, like, like I said, the Comic-Con where it's like, it's like just nerddom like crazy. And this was in 2013? I went in 13. It has been going on for, I want to say, this will be the 15th year yeah, or so. Yeah, I was going to say so around 2000. Nice. Yeah. Wow. How many Sazeracs and beignets did you eat when you were there? <sighs> Lots. Drink lots, and eat, I should say. Lots, yeah, yeah. The Café <laughs> du Monde was absolutely fantastic. And I found getting them to go was better. One, because instead of having the plate and all the icing sugar dumped on and it would be on your lap, you get it in the to-go bag and you just shake it up and everything is coated. Oh. Yeah, that was my little hack. Techniques. Yeah. Hacks. <laughs> Love it. Is this the beignet? It's a, uh, like a... Donut. A little donut with icing sugar and then more icing sugar. How do you sugar. not know what a beignet you is? Get, you get a coffee. Haven't you ever seen the movie Chef? little caramel sauce. Uh... What movie? The Chef. recent one? The recent one? Yeah. Yeah. Did I watch it? No, I never watched it. It's a great movie. You should watch it. It's yeah. really good. It? Shout outs to, uh, what's that guy's name? He did, directed Iron Man and yeah. uh, Michael Swingers. Michael something. Oh. Uh, no, not Michael. Uh, John Favreau. John Favreau. John Favreau. Yeah. Michael. Michael Bay. one of those Bay, white guy names. Yeah. John. John Favreau. <laughs> great movie. They go to New Orleans and they get beignets. 
Right. Just so you know. You know what's funny is whenever I think of John Favreau, I always think of the movie Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you guys remember the movie? Rudy, I don't the, remember the that game? one particularly. Well, I also, first, well I, that and also Swingers. I mean, he's known for Swingers. Swingers, swingers that's the movie that he's yeah, like. You're like leaving a big yeah. portion out of his. Oh, uh, but remember, do you remember like the scene in Swingers, like meets that one girl at the bar and he tries to call her and he calls her like a thousand times in the middle of the night. Yeah. He's like, and he gets like all, all awkward. I remember I, like, if you watch that scene now, like I sweat because it's just so awkward. That movie is like, it's, it's an institution. You yeah. haven't seen Swingers. I, yeah. You you're money, crazy. baby. You're <laughs> oh, he's man. also the doctor in Elf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another like, great movie, by the way. But when John, yeah, but I mean, even Vince Vaughn, like when Vince Vaughn jumps on the table, and he's like, he's like dancing in the middle of the night at the cafe, at the cafe, and he's like, "Your money, baby." Yeah, like, money, yeah. baby. Yeah, yeah I, I, I feel like people listening to this podcast have all seen Swingers. Oh, so good. If you haven't, though, check it out for sure. Yeah, so yeah. Okay, so you went to Tales, and that was. Oh, it sounds like as you were saying right now, that was a pretty uh, yeah uh, eye opening experience for you. When did you move to Vancouver? It would have been actually shortly after April 2014 okay. with my girlfriend. Yeah. Was, uh, that, was that something that you were looking to kind of branch out in the bartending community? Or was that just look like, I just need to get a tattoo tip? It, it was. It was perfect timing. I didn't initiate the idea. She was working with Lululemon at the time and wanted to move in the head office. Okay. It didn't end up happening, but uh, she sat, sat me down and said, uh, hey, I want to move to Vancouver. This is the plan. I looked at her. I'm like, oh. Geez, well, what does that mean for us? Well, dummy, you, you're moving with me. <laughs> oh, okay, thank you. I, I'm happy for that. That's what uh, women come in with. They have to kind of tell you, yeah. tell you kind of how you're going to do your life. And, so. Yeah, so it worked out uh, just amazingly. And I, I knew you know, at the time it was it would have been a great opportunity to move to a bigger market. There's so much more brand money going on mm-hmm. and the opportunities to do these um, competitions with the, the brands and travel, if you will. And eventually land on a podcast. Hey now, so, dream yes. come true. I'm gonna, actually I'm retiring tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, what was your first gig in Vancouver? Revel Room Revel. on Abbott Street. A lot of great people went through there. It's a really great spot. Love live music, good food. Uh, H. Robin Gray, Thor. A lot of great people have Thor gone worked there. there. Thor worked there before oh. the Diamond. Yeah. And he's now at Will the Beast. No, he's in, he's he's, he's retired. Now. He, he yeah, left. I think he went uh, back to school was for a while. No, he was at he was at Wilde, I think he was at Wildebeest for a bit, and then he was at uh, Wildebeest and Diamond and then Laboratory. Oh, right, Lab as well. I think Laboratory is where he finished, and then I think he just kind of had a. That. He was Sorry. going back to school Done. and traveling. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to all our listeners. This is just a, a bartender that was here in Vancouver. Yes. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so Revel Room, that worked out well. Uh, about uh, two, three weeks before moving to Vancouver, I emailed 40, 50 places. And they were one that uh, responded and said, actually, if you're moving on the 4th, we have a guy whose last day is on the 6th. Um, would you mind doing a Skype interview and just chatting? So got on the uh, the interview. Scott Marshall was uh, he's mm. at uh, Mammy Taylor's yeah, now, of yeah. course. He got on and said, "Hey, what do you drink after work?" And I said, <laughs> uh, "Well, I don't know, like free pour Negroni. You don't even have to stir it. Like that's what that's what I'm here for." Said, All right, sounds good. We'll see you then. Oh wow! <laughs> so that was my my interview. So you literally cool. walked into Vancouver with a job already? Yes, walked wow. in with a job. Walked in with an apartment. Everything worked out well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't have to put one foot on the street for that why didn't i think of this way when i was living in toronto <laughs> yeah I moved to toronto in 2003 and it was right after sars and the blackout and i was i think it was 23 at the time and i landed in the city it took me two and a half months to get a job really I just couldn't oh, get long? a job yeah just i it's probably because you have long hair yes well no i well at the time i did yes but i just <laughs> how's that an issue so, but i know i hit the, hit the payment like crazy like every single day hitting the downtown toronto everywhere could not get a job and it just was like and a lot of it is just opportunity. Does this particular place have shifts and hours open? Yeah. yeah. Timing. Timing is everything. Oh, I think I just said the wrong things. I should have said that I drink Negronis. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> free pour Negronis. Yeah, free free pour. Pour Negronis. I'm, okay, yeah. I'm okay with a free pour Negroni, but the bartender pouring it has to be Italian. That's like my thing. 
Well, Scott has a great mustache, so. Okay, can, good. Yeah. <laughs> really? He has to be Italian? He has to be Italian, yeah. Why? Because they know the, pro- it's like a feel thing. They know the proportions properly. Our mutual friend who is a bartender. So uh, you're telling me that like a, a person making Japanese food for you has to be Japanese? Uh, that is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So Revel Room, how was that experience? So uh, Revel Room was great. It was a lot of fun, especially working in Gastown right away. That was I knew that was the neighborhood I wanted to work in. I mm. uh, got to meet a lot of great people and make friends. The cats at Clue Cup became great friends. Sean McWiggan, that's where yeah. I met him. It was funny because we definitely had a very, very small ice machine. So we would uh, daily, if not twice, go on ice runs and and, uh, borrow from Clue Club and uh, Diamond if we wanted to get fancy with cold draft that day. Oh, really? Yeah, every day it was, uh, was an ice run. For sure, but cold that's, draft, that's cold so annoying. The big ice cubes, kind yeah, of, it was it's kind it, of standard fare now. I think for most cocktail bars, the the big, yeah, big ice cold drafter Hoshizaki. Yeah. Where I work, we have a lot larger style. It's it's definitely. I mean, and as we drink better, we understand. I mean, a cocktail is spirit of any kind, sugar, water, bitters. The third ingredient is water, which exactly. comes from the ice. So. I, had, I actually had someone explain that to me a little while ago when he was saying that a bartender's main job is to cool a drink down, kind mm-hmm. of like, and I was just like. I mean, if you think or about dilute it, the drink. or dilute it, but also like your, 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 your role basically is to provide cool beverages. You know? Yeah, I would say definitely, especially more now and, 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 and to manipulate a drink, of course, because there's, you know, hot drinks or even room temperature with yeah. just, uh, say, coconut water dilution or whatever. Absolutely. And then after that, you moved on to, that's where Diamond was. Then, right? then Diamond. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, so that was really fun. Just moved down the alley a ways and that's where I really kind of dived into the culture a bit more and, and, and became more involved in the community, um, entering into more contests, if you will, is just a great way to network. That's where everyone gathers. You can meet a lot of people. So did, what was the first cocktail competition you did? The very first one I did, I believe was, I think it was Barati Kid. Barati Kid? Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that was, that was crazy. That was fun. We, we talked about that one, I think on episode two. I, I think so. There. You I were at one not, of them, eh? Yeah. At one of them. The one where Grand Cine broke a shaker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that sounds like Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was great. So that was at uh, that was actually at Mamie's the round I did, and uh, I won that one uh, while I was at Revel Room. Josh Pape was someone who I went across with, so I kind of cheekily went, "Hey, so how are you doing for hours?" As as a, well, so as you a, won that Brody kid. I, I won that round and went to the final finals. Uh, Amber took me out nice. at the end, but uh, yeah, that was big. Someone dropped out last minute. My friend Jace at Clive's in Victoria and John Smolinski, who was organizing, they had mentioned, hey, we need someone. So Jace said, oh, we'll get Chris in. He works at, you know, Revel was relatively good at volume. Uh, yeah. And then just kind of checked the specs out and, and went in. It's funny that we haven't actually talked about Revel Room ever on this podcast and it has been mentioned in any sort of like list. It's a great I feel mom like it's and a, pop shop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's room like if you're, how would you rate their, co- their cocktails? Though, I, I mean, I, I, I've only been there a handful of times. I mean, generally when I go there, I think about the late night cookies that they offer you when, you, when they close. <laughs> Doing your cookies, man. Yeah. Cookies Last and cookies. cookies. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, I mean, rubble room, I would say is like kind of one of those kind of under the radar, you know, bars. If you were to think about like bars in the city that generally people are, that are, consistently busy people still go to and they're not really known for like their pedigree i'd say yeah. cocktail like wise a, i'm like not saying that they don't deserve it. i'm just saying it's not it's not the hip bar yeah. you know and i would say like alibi room is kind of like that revel room you know places that have been around for quite a while i would revel say it's, it's, it's a beeline yeah if you will like you have your a lines and and you mentioned you're talking about the top 50 list yeah um so of course you have your kefir diamond poorhouse lab yeah, they're, they're known for great spots and, soda, and, and yeah. grapes which I've never been to. I know Satoshi as well. Yeah. And he's just absolutely amazing. But uh, it's just out of my bubble. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, Mickey, you've, you've said this uh, several times that like I haven't been to those places just because it's out of your radar in a lot of ways. And it's I don't get out much. Most restaurants I was on the same boat that I haven't been to, yeah. uh, especially on that top 100 list. Yeah. yeah. Well, what would be interesting is to categorize what would be the top cocktail bars to go to, but also what is like the top watering holes like for industry people. I mean, I'd say every neighbor has like boxcar, boxcar probably Alibi Room is 100% one. Um, yeah. And I mentioned Prontino on, on South Canby, yeah. which is a, a really sort of deep cut. I don't, most people don't really know about that place, yeah. but you could think of a lot, like especially downtown. Yeah. Winos, rest in peace on Granville Street. If you guys remember that place, yeah, Winos, yeah, right across the street. Your, yeah, yeah. So. What is it now? It's uh, it's called uh, Falconetti's. No, I, yeah. I can't remember. I don't even fucking know. <laughs> if I ever, if I ever have to drink on Granville Street, I'd probably just go to Morrissey. Yeah, it was yeah the Morrissey, Morrissey at the end by Davey. Cut. Yeah, absolutely. Man, when I first yeah. Decent beers on tap. Decent yeah. beers on tap. Yeah, don't ever I, order a cocktail there though. No, <laughs> I, I never get. I rarely get cocktails anyways. But I remember when I first moved to Vancouver and I heard about the Morrissey. I was like, "There's a place called the Morrissey." Yeah, and I was like, "Okay, that's pretty awesome." So I went in there, and then you walk in and you feel like you're in like this 1980s, like uh, metal, this, not metal, but like kind of like gothic style bar, and it's got candles everywhere, and it's kind of dark and dingy. Yeah, definitely. And the, and the bartenders are horrible when it comes to service and everything and it's not really the bar that you want to go like that wall on the left side yeah the one on the left pattern just yeah. the fireplace yeah, and you got yeah. all the fireplace in there it's kind of like it's it's kind of this really cool it's like why is this on granville street and it's yeah like completely doesn't fit but it's at the end of granville street and you're just like it's kind of hidden off like i've told people like go oh, meet me at the morrissey and they're like where <laughs> yeah because yeah, yeah. it's attached to the ramada hotel yeah right? it's like so it's interesting but it's it's still kind of like busy and it's i think it's up until three o'clock too i think it's one so of the until three yeah mm-hmm. absolutely that's on the that Fridays hotel and yeah the hotel thing, yeah. So. yeah yeah don't ever order a cocktail there fantastic music though if you look yeah, for good. something yeah. like that's off the beaten path they play a lot of like 80s a lot of like uh 90s grunge um yeah. just interesting music punk and rock and that kind of stuff so yeah. look for something interesting to do oh the bottleneck is not bad i don't mind the bottleneck Bottleneck, uh, yeah, but more of like sort of like they have like a sort of hip hop vibe in there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of like the, you know, 80s groove, hip hop kind of stuff. They're, I'm going into music tangent here and we're talking about what's talking Mickey about. Also has a, Mickey also has a, his own music podcast that if you guys are interested in listening to that, it's called Beats on the Repe- Beats on Repeat. Beats on Repeat. Yeah. So, so Barati Kids, first competition. Barati Kids, the first in few others between. What have you done since? Like, have you won any other competitions outside of this uh, Woodford one that you've just Yeah. Um, I've always been bridesmaid, never a bride in the finishes. But uh, the last few I've I've gone, I've had the chance to do quite a little bit of traveling with these comps. Grey Goose would have been the first. We went to Bordeaux uh, for a while, stayed at the Sweet. Chateau. It was absolutely fantastic. Seeing lanterns that are older than, than what Canada was established as a country, it's, it was very beautiful. Bacardi was a very cool experience. We went to Miami and Puerto Rico. You won Bacardi Legacy? I, I was in the top three nationals okay. for that. So, But we, we went on the Vancouver round. Nice. Two years ago was uh, as well uh, my second time now in world class. Okay. I think Sean and Katie as well have been in, in two. And we went to D.C. Okay. That was a, a second at the nationals for that. So close nice. as well. And then, yeah, this one finally we took the, the whole bag. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, hats off to you on that one. So – with Woodford and this experience going to Louisville and then New York City, yeah, what have you been able to take away from outside of having won the competition? What can you take away from those both experiences being in the home of where bourbon is 
yeah. cultivated. And then also being in probably one of the biggest markets in the world in New York City. Is there- yeah, like, I mean, well, definitely the big thing is is you make so many friends and networks is, is the largest thing. And, and you have 40 different bars and couches to stay on now. Going down to Louisville, hanging out and, and watching the bourbon being made, everyone kind of drinks the Kool-Aid a little bit, if you will, and, and really gets an appreciation. It's hopefully the product that you're going to on the trip is great. And luckily, like I, I feel Woodford is a really great whiskey. Mm. You get to literally put your hands in the whiskey. Like they're, they're fermenting their malt at the day. So you put your fingers in and taste everything. You mm. see the barrel runs. You see where their cat lived. So those kind, kind of, of stories. I'm curious they they had that. a distillery cat named Elijah. Uh, was in the distillery for about uh, 20 years or so. It was a great picture when they were taking of the brick house with Elijah in the window. Mm. And they thought, oh, this is beautiful. It's posing. But actually the brick house was, uh, it's heat controlled and it was locked up for about four days. So the cat was saying, you know, get me the hell <laughs> yeah. out of here. It's bloody hot. Fucking, Opened yeah. up and ran out. <laughs> but they, uh, the cat passed away about four years ago. It was 20 years old. And they put a plaque of this is Elijah's favorite spot. And so you uh, kind of walk by. So those so little sweet. heartwarming yeah. kind of things that, that, that aren't on any bottles yeah how big how big was the uh woodford like experience like how big is their their distillery and everything uh the dist- warehouse is pretty big isn't it well we only saw their tourism warehouse okay. they have three other warehouses that are beyond what i can imagine they're they're so huge yeah. it's it's cool like it's it, it smells so so nice when you go into a warehouse and there's thousands and thousands of barrels sitting there and and it's you know 25 degrees and and so sweet you, you, you probably could just get high off all the uh yeah, yeah. Well, the angel shirt coming up there. Oh, it's amazing. Taking a, you know, a drill, drilling in the cask, put the air hole, catch the whiskey and pass it around, plug it back up. So, you know, we're tasting right right out of the cask. Uh, New York was, uh, that was really cool. Hanging out at the Nomad. Um, a big thing with this too, with these trips is is how you kind of conduct yourself as well. Because mm-hmm. you want to be, uh, if, if you do well, you want to be an ambassador of the brand and an ambassador of your bar and yourself as well. Are you so, representing Woodford, right? Or Bacardi or whoever. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're representing that. And, and I mean, your your home as well. So yeah. a big thing is is to, you know, you're having fun. Drinks are on the house. Food is, is plentiful, but, mm-hmm. you know. Be mindful and and talking about consumption. Yeah, have fun here and there, but uh, be healthy. Do you feel? Do you feel a certain <laughs> loyalty now that you've won this competition? To no, I'm not. I'm yeah. not trying to put yeah, you, yeah. No, I'm I know trying to put mean. you on the spot because I know that. I mean, I love Woodford Reserve. I think it's one of the better bourbons out there that's being produced. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because there, there's a pretty high rye quotient to it. Which, yeah, which uh, 72, 72 percent corn, eighteen percent rye, ten uh, percent barley, and their classic bourbon. So yeah. that has that nice lemon, pepper, dill, spice note. Yeah, absolutely. Seventy eight to eighteen. Uh, Seventy two, eighteen, ten. Seventy eight corn. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's weird because when I like, if I'm comparatively drinking Bullet or Buffalo Trace or Woodford, I yeah. find Buffalo Trace and Bullet to be way sweeter. That's interesting. Yeah, and uh, and well, I find well, Woodford to be sort of like well, it's, Woodford also a has a longer <laughs> fermentation time, so the uh, yeast get okay. more chance to have a richer sugar experience. And with controlling the barrels, they have a longer toasting time, so you're getting more hemoglobins, the red line inside the oak, those right, nice right. sugars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also put their whiskey in at 110 percent as opposed to 125. So yeah, it's a so there's more water going yeah. in the barrel, which sounds bad, but water and sugar. Water saturates sugar, alcohol and sugar don't mix that well. So you're actually pulling out more of those oaky sugar more. flavors. So it ah, brings a more mellow okay. flavor overall. Huh. Yeah. 
That was an extremely precise <laughs> or, or technical like that. answer. Yeah. <laughs> so it, just to clarify a little bit of what Chris is saying here, anyone out there that doesn't know much about bourbon or maturation or bourbon, uh, how they make bourbon, bourbon has three basic tenets. It has to be minimum 51% corn, has to be aged in new charred oak barrels, which they reuse every year, and they generally sell them to uh, other industries, especially the wine industry and the sherry industry. And then and that has to be aged... A minimum, minimum of, of two. Two years. Yeah. yeah. Canada, a minimum of three. Three years, yeah. And then most bourbon that you see on the market is generally aged anywhere from, what, seven to ten years, I'd say? Yeah, I, yeah. five, seven. I think five, Makers seven. is five, six, six or so. Yeah. Uh, like Booker's comes out at six, six and three quarter years or so, yeah. usually. Yeah. And most That's bourbons, sweet most bourbons range in proof from 42-ish yeah. to about 50. I mean, Booker's is, what, 60? Booker's comes out. D- varying, you know, usually 62 something or so. Yeah. Woodford's 45, 45 two, yeah. Makers 45 yeah. flat. Yeah. All right. Well, real quick side note top three bourbons. Go. Yeah. Jenny uh, Ma. My favorite day to day bourbon would be Buffalo Trace. Okay. I love Buffalo Trace. I just love that kind of like the vanilla that you get in there, especially that roundness. Okay. Um, number two would probably be Booker's. Okay. Yeah. And then I'd probably afterwards, I'd probably go. Yeah. I'd yeah. probably go Woodford. Woodford? Yeah. Top three. Okay. What about you, Chris? No, or Jefferson Reserve. Jefferson Reserve is pretty tasty. Jefferson Reserve? Yeah. Never had it. Yeah. No? No. That's, that's nice. Okay. So, uh, nice. Blanton Single Barrel would okay. be my number one. Uh, and that's out of Buffalo Trace. Blanton's always forget Blanton's. Ah, uh, it's beautiful. The gold, too. The gold is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys, do you ever heard about, like, Blanton's is a very, very popular bourbon. If you ever see it, try it. But they have the, the horses, and I think they race. I think if you collect them all, they, they, they finish the you race. You can get the oh, really? B-L-A-N-T-O-N-S. Yeah. What a lovely and, gimmick. And, and <laughs> well, they were the uh, whiskey of the Derby until Woodford took the whole shebang. Yeah. Uh, Woodford's okay. now the uh, not only the official cocktail, but the official sponsor. Yeah, so Woodford Reserve is the official sponsor uh, of the Kentucky Derby. May 5th, Kentucky Derby's coming yeah. up as well. And that's... Uh, Which we did get to uh, visit Churchill as a racing oh, really? fan. That was amazing. I was the only competitor in, in my suit and hat and, and chief, handkerchief out. I was excited to get down to the horse tracks. Absolutely. Wow. It wasn't Super active, cool. but it was cool. Yeah. Nice. So um, second and third bourbons? Yes. Uh, second. Ooh, we put them on the spot. Yeah, nice. no doubt. Well, I'm putting hey. you guys on. I'm putting myself uh, on the spot, actually. You know, okay. <laughs> still, I think, staying in the Buffalo Eagle Rare. Is great. That's about an eight, nine year old right. buffalo or so. Yeah. The smoke in that one looks a little bit too heavy. Heavy, heavy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then I'm going to go with the Woodford Double Oak. So they, they put it, they age it again in very long toast, super flash charred cast. So it's in two new American barrels and it smells like, smells like marshmallows. Yeah. It's like a pillow whiskey. Yeah, you just want to snuggle it. <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite bourbon, which I recently just tried uh, a couple years ago, is Baker's. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, Baker's, yeah, 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 yeah. That's um, I love Eagle Rare as yeah. well. Uh, and my third would probably be Bullet just because you like it's Bullet. fucking everywhere. I, it's good. It's good for making oh, so cocktails. I like the Bullet Rye more. It's good for making the cocktails. Rye, it's a really malleable, like. malleable. It's good for yeah. Manhattan. It's a good price fashions. point as well. Yeah. Price yeah. point? Uh-huh. Yeah, the bullet ride for me is is I think what like really, really, really so. I mean, I, they, they have the ten year too, which is nice, but I think the bullet ride is really. Yeah. I like the classic over the ten. I feel the ten might be a bit too oaked. I think yeah. that five six seven is a sweet spot. Yeah. Bullet rye, I agree, when I, I smell it, it smells like old Dutch dill pickle potato chips to me. That's, that's just it's ninety five percent. That's a <laughs> heavy your old Dutch dill pickle chips. The man of the scriptures here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm stealing all this shit by the way. Yeah. Yeah. In the past episode, I talked about how how uh, Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand tastes like cappy. Oh yeah. yeah. 
yeah, yeah. For that one. Very much so in well, that weird, weird. Sorry, fresh track tire on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, no, it's interesting because you, you, we. I mean, we as bartenders work in this all the time, but sometimes you have to. I never really think about that. I never think about like what is my favorite of certain. The only thing I really think yeah. about it when it comes to spirits is cognac. Cognac, yeah. yeah. Like if I'm if I'm ever at home, um, cognac is what I want to drink or armagnac. But like, I do love bourbon, but I generally gravitate towards more of the rye just because I like the spice more. Right. Fair um, enough. And I find bourbon can be, you know, it is sweeter. Mm-hmm. That's why I generally like. That's why I love Booker's. Mm-hmm. I love the I love the bite. Um, there's nothing better than anything giving, overproof. Yeah. There's nothing better than giving someone a shot of bourbon and you just sliding in a shot of Booker's and not telling them what it is in their face. Priceless <laughs> when they drink that. Yeah, um, but even a Booker's, like, like a Booker's, uh, Booker's old fashioned is pretty. I find Booker's has a little bit of a spice note too. Oh, it's got well. spice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think it's like now that's why I like Woodford too, right? So, but I don't know. I just love Buffalo Trace. So I think Buffalo is to me yeah. that's the sweetest of. Well, I have it's a sweet even sweeter too, right? than, so. than Bullet. Th- that was the whiskey of choice at the Diamond. I, yeah. I may have tasted one or two Buffalo Traces. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> you, can, you can pour Buffalo Trace right in front of me and I can like sniff that out like seconds. The one that, that I find interesting that none of us brought up was the fact how Maker's Mark, which is probably the most popular out of all these bourbons. And uh, uh, Mr. Ron Oliver, of course. Yes, uh, Mr. Ron yes, Oliver. Yes, sir. Maker's is lovely and it is that wheat bath it's note. Weed, it's yeah, it's yeah, soft it's and smooth. But I think us being having more uh, stronger palates, maybe geekier palates. I, just I guess I don't want to say stronger, but more geekier palates. We go for those more vegetal notes, if you yeah. will. Mm. Absolutely. So now that you've done this Woodford comp and you've obviously won, you, where are you heading off to now? Do you have anything else? Yeah, so I uh, have one more opportunity. We're off to London for London Cocktail Week. That's the first week of October. Nice. Uh, trip for two, all expenses. Uh, girlfriend and I will be going down. And yeah, do do cocktail week. I'm not even sure what's going on Perfect. for that. Uh, no more competing, so I assume we'll just be pouring whiskey for for people. Nice. Yeah, that's exciting. Have so, some friends yeah. down there as well. So yeah, so any of you bartenders out there who are looking to find a way to travel for free, this is, this <laughs> is definitely this is definitely a great way to do it. Not a bad way to so, stamp your passport. Absolutely. Yeah. I've uh, I and I I think I've touched on this before in the past that I've never competed before, and it's not something that I looked will probably ever do. Just it's not my. It's not something I'm, I'm, I want to do. But I will say that there is a little bit of jealousy when you see fellow colleagues and people that you know going. I'm going here and I'm going here and I'm going here and it's all paid for. And Those automatic like, time off requests that yeah, are approved because there's a plane ticket behind it. <laughs> and then the other one we touched on, I think, at the top here is that you are going to be doing your Diageo uh, Canadian final here coming up next week. How, how are you? How are you feeling about that experience coming up? Uh, this is exciting. And again, like world classes is. is the largest, most comprehensive competition. It's uh, presentation, articulation, knowledge, speed. You handle stuff under pressure. You know, we do this every day. We bartend, but it's it's a different feeling when there's people watching you. You have a, a microphone on. The nerves are up. Oh, you're it's, mic'd uh, up. Oh. For, for, for a few of them, you're mic'd up. Some, maybe not. Yeah, um, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, so we have we have a few challenges. The first one is a hero ingredient. I'm not sure how much we can go involved because we haven't done it yet, but uh, I'm doing blueberries. Blueberries are big in BC. Hero ingredient? So that's so like... So we have to do one single ingredient featured in five cocktails. Okay. The cocktails are given, so uh, you have to do a mule, a daiquiri, margarita, martini, and Manhattan, but with some sort of ingredient influenced on your home. Uh, so BC is, I think, 29% of the high blueberry bush growth comes from BC. We're like yeah, the we're capital huge, production of it. Too. And something around like that 20, 25% of fruit and vegetable is BC blueberries for Canada. Oh, wow. Blueberry so it's Manhattan. big. Mm. 
Yeah. So we have to, and, and a big thing too, with these competitions, I definitely encourage uh, young bartenders to do it. It's a great way to network. If you don't get a chance to be creative in your, in your bar, the sky's the limit in competitions. And with this, it, it encompasses everything. Your drink obviously has to be good, but do you have a story with it? Do you have a bit of show? Are your coasters fun? So I'm doing the blue tang clan. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So it's, uh, it's so cheesy. This is pretty awesome. Uh, the, the method mule. Uh, the Biza for the Margarita, okay. Inspector Dac, uh, Blueclin Zoo, and the ODB, the Old Dirty Berry. Okay, these are the, this is just I, oh, this is just awesome. <laughs> All right, you've already won in my mind just yeah, from so just from the concept. It's uh, those kind of things, and that's <laughs> actually it, the only uh, reason why I want to bring him on today. I just wanted him, I just wanted him to just talk about these names because when he told me these originally, I was just like, what? Amazing. That's Who didn't listen is, to Wu Tang Clan in the nineties? It's uh, the Biza, the, the Biza. <laughs> Um, and that's the thing is it's about, you know, hospitality and making them feel like they're comfortable at a bar. It's everyone's out of their environment, but can you, for that 10 minutes, make them forget that they're at a competition and, and engage and make them laugh kind of thing. Make them feel warm. What's your favorite cognac? My favorite cognac? Yeah. I'm curious. You have a elevated well, I mean, taste. If you're really going to, if you're, <laughs> if you're really going to ask, I mean, Louis, I've had, I've had like probably 12 ounces of Louis in my lifetime. Um, okay. I know it's aged over 100 years, and I know it's no, it's it, aged. Louis aged anywhere from 40 to 100 years. 40 and what to 100, the ODV okay. has, they usually take samples that can go back that far. Right. But I highly doubt it's going all the way back. I mean, I, if you're getting anything from that long of age, that's probably minute amounts. But yeah, I'd say one they, millimeter in. Yeah, that I'd say they, I'd say they, like the majority of the whiskey is coming from the 40 to 40 to 60 range, probably. Right. I'd say, but I mean, the amount of Louis Trez that's being sold out there nowadays. Yeah. Um, I mean. For them to be able to keep up with that demand would probably be very difficult. Yeah, of course. They would have had to project that. Yeah, exactly. Which, ago. which I highly doubt that they did. Because yeah. you is it the oldest distillery in the world? Re, uh, the Remy Martin, fifteen uh, something. Se- on the bottle, isn't it seventeen thirty eight? Yeah. Okay. What's yeah. the old? You know, seventeen thirty eight is their the is their homage to the seventeen. The, the being yeah. of the distillery. So that's what I've been telling my guests at the bar yeah. when they were. If you're, gonna, if you're I will say. If you're gonna, <laughs> And it's um, tough because that if there is the oldest distillery, it's the oldest distillery that was registered for taxes because exactly. that's yeah. the thing that makes yeah. the whiskey and everything go around. Yeah. 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 Okay. But I mean, if you're going to research go, that, if you're actually going to go for uh, just like, I generally, if I buy cognac, if I drink cognac, I like stuff that's more XO. But I will say, if you want to drink cognac for cheap, go to the Commodore Ballroom. You can get a double of Crevasse or Hennessy VS for 10 bucks. Ten bucks. Ten bucks. Somebody made a mistake there. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I go, they don't say anything, and they always have like a little bottle. And I end up just like I'll just look at the guy, and I'm like, I'm going to be drinking that all tonight. Uh, bar hacks. I love it. So. I like. I like. For me, I like Remy XO. That's my I, well, it's funny because Remy Remy's got more of a kind of a brighter note, but a lot of people generally like Hennessy more because it's it's got a little more richer and viscous flavor to it. But I mean, you're looking. Those are the two main houses. I mean, if we could go easily into like. Uh, like growers stuff and like smaller houses. Um, but I mean, if you're going to go for the big boys, I generally would be a Remy guy, I'd say. Oh. Chris? I don't drink enough cognac <laughs> to have a have a valid opinion on it. I'm not going to lie. Like Martel's, I, uh, Martel's awesome. I I, right. I, I I pretty much grab it and mix it with Peychaud bitters or lemon juice. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, gins though, like I love gin. I love rum. Oh uh, I God, love vermouth. Forever yeah. about gin, especially just the BC production stuff that's coming out of BC. That well, yeah. I mean, I I definitely have opinions on BC gin. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's uh, we'll we'll have a, another episode uh, um, of the Track and Food podcast. That's like best of. You want to do fav- best of? favorites sure, of? We can totally do that. Uh, Mick and I generally try to 
maybe touch on a couple other topics that have kind of hit our purvey throughout the week or since we've seen each other. There's two things that uh, I was curious about talking about. One, and we brought this up on our first podcast, was David Chang and his Ugly Delicious series on Netflix. I am astonished that we actually beat David Chang to a podcast. So what we're we're going to talk about is, so uh, one of my inspirations for doing the podcast originally was through the Ringer Podcast Network, which is done by Bill Simmons. We love Bill Simmons. So he just picked up David Chang and he has, they have their now, Dave Chang now has his known podcast called The Dave Chang Show, which they're basically going to be doing pretty much what we're looking to do here on Track of Food. Well, they, they have been, sorry to cut you off. It was, the initial press release was for a limited time frame so like yeah. a, a, a pack of you know 10 like a podcasts series, or whatever think, yeah. but when you listen to the podcast which we'll talk about they're going to be just doing it infinitely so the only reason i want to bring this up is a i have a ton of respect for uh, dave chang and what he's doing i think it's awesome i think what it's showcases is the fact that there is a huge market out there for people who are interested in the hospitality and the food and beverage scene yeah. and kind of the world because and if anybody's out there looking to listen to this podcast i think it's just you can find it on itunes or stitcher it's called the dave chang so it's really interesting is they're just gonna he especially for the first few episodes he's gonna be talking about his launch of major domo which is the new restaurant that he opened up in la yeah and he kind of goes into detail about like that whole process and the scary part of it what he was looking to do the aspirations for the business and then also you know they're, they're gonna go into more detail of like you know, eventually as subsequent episodes come out, they're going to talk about how the restaurant has evolved, how it opened and those things. And then eventually they're probably going to go into more food and culture stuff that, you know, maybe interests them. But it's interesting to hear from his perspective because you're hearing it from his perspective as someone who's actually a restaurant owner and someone who's done stuff. And we were realizing that there's a voice out there for people who do this stuff and that there's there's a market and there's intrigue and seeing people like chefs like Dave Chang who have such prominence probably the biggest chef in America at the moment right now, who's not afraid to kind of put himself out there. Right. So for people listening, just to reset a little bit, the Ringer Podcast Network is, obviously, we mentioned Bill Simmons. Have you ever listened to the House of Carbs? Yeah. Okay. So so David Chang has actually been featured on there a, few on times, yeah. there a couple of times. So he's- That's another food podcast done by the Ringer. food podcast. House of Carbs, clever name, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and he actually, uh, Bill Simmons and uh, Joe House did a podcast on House of uh, Carbs. And uh, it was a ranking- to anyone listening uh, who knows Jamie or myself, we're huge NBA basketball fans. So it was a ranking of all the 16 teams that were in the NBA playoffs, but based on food culture in their city. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend checking it out. And David Chang was uh, the major consultant for all this information with, uh, with Bill Simmons. Yeah. And the podcast uh, idea and concept that Jamie was talking about uh, is based on his experience opening like you said, uh, Major Domo. Um, but what they're releasing first is the first three episodes are actually episodes that they recorded in the fall last year, in, in October and November and December, um, while he was actually going through this process. So super, super interesting. When those podcasts are done, then they're going to be starting fresh. So, yeah. And it's funny, when you listen to that podcast, he even sounds nervous for someone who is in the limelight and the spotlight as much as David Chang. Absolutely. So for us, it's, it's really interesting and eye-opening for me because – you know, track and food is, uh, this will be the fourth episode, just the sort of like the similarities and sort of the subject matter we're talking about yeah. really, really interesting. And I mean, it, for me, just solidifies the fact that Bill Simmons is the pod father and an amazing, <laughs> amazing podcaster, like never misspeaks. And you know, it's legit because on the ringer podcast, they actually record and then they release an hour after the, the recording. Right. Yeah. And he just like has this way of like babying people through the experience. And like, he's like, you know, he says the right things at the right time. And like, yeah, he's just 
I don't. Well, say Podfather. That's what we're trying to do here with Chris. We're trying to make sure. <laughs> What's that, up, Bill? We're trying to make sure that you know, we'll coddle him, make him feel good. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, so helping Jimmy, burp me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we've all listened to the podcast, of course. So for me, I watch Ugly Delicious. Chris, you've seen those. Yes, I've uh, marathoned them. Right. Um, and for someone who's a total noob on sort of chef culture, and someone who's actually been working in restaurants since I was sixteen, similar to you, Chris, I really wasn't a fan of that show. But I also have a real disdain and distaste for reality television, <laughs> and I don't actually watch TV at all. <laughs> and I have sort of a, um, I have this really like underlined counterculture part of me that's like I don't like to like anything that's popular. Yeah, you know, I wrote about that, right? I did. I read all your stuff, Jamie. Yeah, no, but I actually wrote an entire article about that. <laughs> Good. So for me, I found it very interesting. But why are you like that? Uh, I don't know, because most stuff sucks, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if something's growing popular, up and, and people are dumb radio and people like stupid shit. The same yeah, but I mean, some, six, things, seven, some eight things are good songs. when they're popular. There's a reason why they're popular. It's true. Well, my the example I always go back to is a band like Radiohead, who got popular on their own accord. They and then they sell out themselves. And they're a hugely popular, popular band, but they did it on their own terms, right? So mm-hmm. that's kind of where my mentality is. But with this podcast, I really felt an, I mean, brilliant idea for Bill Simmons to, to do this, right? He's obviously the most, probably the most famous chef in the world right now. All of his media outlets, um, all, the stuff he's done already. Wait, Lucky with, Peach. With, for me, it really, it, it humanized him in a way that I wasn't really expecting to happen. Like I like the, I will tell you this. I like the podcast way more than the show. Absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent. I will agree with you on that one. I when listening to this podcast, he came across as more human. Came across as more as you, you can feel than more. It, it's not nothing was rehearsed. It felt very felt very real. Obviously, Absolutely. it's a podcast is very real in the yeah. moment. But um, I think that's probably maybe I don't know if that's maybe why they want to do it. But I think it definitely will showcase him in a different size. In a different. But it's way. just it's just cool to like. I mean, we had talked about before we actually started recording podcast culture and how it's kind of become a real thing, but. Even in our experience doing this podcast, Track and Food, we find that a lot of people still actually don't listen to podcasts. But no. it is, in terms of a media outlet, in terms of an expression of information, it's really, like you said, it's like a transparent, stripped down way of communicating Like whatever you're into and whatever topics you want to discuss. It's just a really interesting, raw, truthful way of expressing what you're trying to convey to, to anyone who will, who will listen. I think the one thing that I'm really curious about, and I think this is... I hopefully something that we can try to evolve with with this podcast is just peeling back the layers a little bit and giving people a little bit of an insight. So, prime which example what, today with what we're trying to do. Yeah, with prime Vancouver. example with Chris today. Like Absolutely. I think, I think a lot of people out there might maybe are really interested in bartending. Maybe they're not, but maybe they're interested in bourbon, or maybe they're interested in cocktails. Yeah. And or even like with with the the competition side of bartending is very very small. And and to be honest, in terms of the hospitality and bartending, it's it's fourth, fifth, sixth, second row seat. We want the guests to feel comfortable, but the big thing with this and hopefully if, if people take away, if they want to drink better or, or perhaps, you know, have better cocktails at home, that uh, there are people out there who, who want to help and educate you as, as a bartender and as a guest exchange. Like I want you, I want you to come to my bar, have a great drink, great experience. And be like, I want to make this at home. I want to show my friends. I want to have a great dinner party. Like, okay, boom, you get these two things. Here's the recipe. This is how you do it. Easy. And and it doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to spend a lot of money going out to, to bars all the time. You can host people at home and, and drink incredibly well. Stock up a couple ingredients, work on two drinks at a time, and, and over a few months, you have a great home bar. 
Mm. Absolutely. It's cool because what it does is it humanizes what his experiences are and how someone of his stature can get to the point where he is. And you know, we're all, hum- we're all humans, man. Like he's just he's just a dude who well, had an yeah, idea it, yeah. to start a, a company and like took these insanely stressful leaps in his life yeah. to do this stuff. And what? this podcast is being recorded while he was opening the restaurant. Yeah, the new There's yeah. an incredible yeah, yeah. amount yeah. of underlying stressors yeah. and, and emotions going Absolutely. on and before as, he gets yeah, on. And right. as Ron said in our last episode, which is almost like content-wise identical to what the first episode of the Dave, Dave Chang show first episode was, it's it, to do these things and to, to make these leaps and bounds is like, you know, not everyone has the the stomach to do this and no. it's it's very stressful and you don't that doesn't come across when you watch ugly delicious doesn't come across when you read lucky peach but in a podcast it just has this like realness to it that i, I really i really enjoyed maybe we can get david chang on this, on this podcast yeah <laughs> you coming yeah. to vancouver Shoot uh, the Dave? Email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i found this interesting i love reading stuff on vox and uh, the title of the article was called it, it's time to rethink how much booze maybe too much. There's a study done by The Lancet which pulled all this information from these research articles and these, and they, I think they eventually the study had around 600,000 participants. How much could we drink in a week and are the perceptions of what we're drinking right now too much? My so, doctor, just as for clarification, uh, when I had my physical this year said 12 drinks a week is totally acceptable. So that's, but that's what they talk about in this article and they, yeah. they say 12 drinks, the people's standard a definition oh, they said 12 of this, No, what well, most people, they say is for men, two drinks a day and women, one drink a day. Yeah. It's kind of what the perceived perception of what most people kind of understand is like, that's kind of what's normal for us to drink and if right. you drink any more than that, then it's, you're, you might be causing, you know, detrimental health you know, effects for you, you know, further along in your life, you may be thinking that 12 drinks is kind of okay and you'll be fine. But what they're basically trying to say is that actually is probably wrong and that's probably still too much. So, I mean, as bartenders, I'm sure we drink probably more than that. And it's, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who do, but I'm at one drink already today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think what it's, what I found interesting about the article is the fact that it's challenging this notion of something that's already embedded in our lifestyle, that it makes me wonder is that something that either of you factor into your decisions when it comes to drinking? Do you guys ever think about those things outside of like the natural, like, um, I don't want to drink too much because I don't want to be hungover or I, or I don't want to get overweight. But I mean, when it comes to like long-term health effects, like, is that something that you guys ever consider or I don't know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially the early days pace. Um, 20s. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, I was saying, this is about- Did you drink to- a little bit of in your early days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You can't see because this is a podcast, well, but the I mean, coy look uh, on Jamie's face. It's it's market research development. It's the early You have to know your product. Er, yeah, the early sampling. But that was uh, absolutely you don't think about it in the early twenties, but eventually hangovers start to become real and how you mentioned the initial reasons to, to, to lower it is is you want to feel bad, you're getting a little pudgy. But yeah, totally. Like I I wanna do this, I want my body to be healthy, I want to I want, you know, I don't want to have a big cherry nose when I'm 60 years old, a gin nose. So, yeah, absolutely. It's I, I think that it's something to be mindful of. I mean, you still want to live. If I hear these things, oh, if you have this many drinks, you're going to shave off two years. I'm like, well, those two years suck anyways. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather enjoy these two right now. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint anymore. Well, and the, I mean, the author kind of touches on that in the article. It's saying, like, if you were to really be cautious about everything, you, you know, your life would suck. Yeah. It would just be boring. And there's... 
you know, I think all of us, there's nothing wrong with, in my opinion, having a glass of wine every day or whatever. But, you know, they, they kind of relate this to kind of the French paradox where people always think, well, you know, the French drink a lot of red wine and they generally have lower cardiovascular and disease and issues it, like that's this. That's debunked but like, a little bit in this. It is article, debunked in this. Yeah, this article debunks yeah. a little bit of that. But it's also, they try to relate the idea of like what a non-drinker is, but then they're also saying we're also comparing what a heavy drinker is and then a moderate drinker is. You know, I would say personally, I would say I'm probably a moderate drinker. I wouldn't say I'm a heavy drinker, but mm-hmm. I'd say as your, as your doctor said, 12 drinks a week is fine. Is that already too much? But I mean, probably, probably. But I mean, even then, is it, as Chris just said, does it matter? And yeah, I, I, I agree. I think 12 is quite a bit. Um, For a whole week? I'm, so well, I mean, why, yeah, that's two oh, day, yeah. Right? Okay. That's so let's, let's break it down in, in a normal wine? week, five days work, two days weekend. Yeah. Let's say of the five days of work, four days, you don't need really anything to drink. Uh, you don't really need any wine, perhaps mm. one glass. Or one after work just yeah. to wind down from your shift. Thursday, one, two glasses. The weekends, I th- I think a big thing too of this is is how you're drinking and the purpose of it. Of course, it's an intoxicant and you want to feel good, but take out that factor of those college kids, the, the 12, 15 vodka sodas. Mm. On a good night, Two cocktails and a glass of wine and an espresso, like that's that's fine. Mm. That's plenty. There's and then drink drink better. Like Pace drink have properly. have a have yeah. a Booker's old fashioned and sip that for the next forty five minutes. Like yeah. as opposed to Don't three do double vodka sodas. And yeah, well, <laughs> time time and place. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. I just think it's interesting how it's it's been something that's part of our whole society since. Well, since people since love the dawn of time. Yeah. Wine that, has always been in fermented beverages have been healthier than uh, water in time. So it is part of our DNA that, to, to trust this as, yeah. as part of our beverage. And we've been doing it for centuries and centuries. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a big part of what I do for a living. And it's also a big part of my life. And I love to socialize and have a drink. Well, and how, how often do you serve a guest at your bar that like is clearly has a problem and will sit there yeah. and drink? I have this one guy uh, that I serve uh, – probably every couple months he comes in, he's a businessman. He'll start with a double Caesar. He'll have another double Caesar, sometimes another double Caesar, Ooh, and then the he'll move on burn. to wine and then he'll move on to wine. So he'll have a half liter of whatever, or sometimes a bottle of whatever. And then he'll just finish the night with Guinnesses. And sometimes this guy drinks like 14, 15, 16 drinks. Just as happy as ever. Just so happy. Eats are, you a steak. Carrying, are you carrying him out of the hotel? Like, no, he's able to walk. <laughs> he's so but he's never, and, he never oh. seems, he never seems intoxicated. Like he seems intoxicated, but he never seems like over the top intoxicated because yeah. he's trained his body to like be okay with this. He's a large, large man. Yeah. And that to me is like, you know, as a bartender, we see that, that shit all the time. And yeah. that is concerning to me. Like when you see someone that's clearly that healthy and <laughs> clearly can handle that much toxin in their body. And that's just right? a full, full lifestyle. And I mean, everyone has their own lives and, and, yeah. freedom absolutely but that's just i mean does that guy look like he's a big boy because he plays rugby or because he drinks a half bottle of wine and eats steak so it's the also ladder, a whole lifestyle ladder. kind of thing <laughs> and yeah. but that's that's like okay so that's six ounces of, of vodka that's sometimes a full bottle of red wine and then probably five or six guinnesses to finish it off like and that's like probably a nightly occurrence for him or maybe yeah. a maybe Three out of the seven days three of the week. week. Yeah. Twelve drinks in one night, then you can't drink for the rest of the week. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Wouldn't feel very good the next day. That's fine. <laughs> so, um, well, you're usually hungover when yeah. I record these things anyway. So. Yeah, I don't want I don't want this to become too much of a somber end for our podcast today. So <laughs> no, I've also, I mean, 
on on a counterpoint, there's also been articles of a 102 year old grandma who has a yeah. gin martini, and Absolutely. that's that's a key to it. So, yeah. so it's uh, everything in moderation, including moderation at times. I saw speaking of shots of Jameson, and you have a pickleback kind of thing. It was hollowed out little baby pickles that you put the shot in and then ah, eat it after. How nice. cute! That's pretty good. Surprisingly, the acidity like cuts that that whiskey off. Yeah. Like Jameson, it's it's an okay whiskey as is, and it has that kind of green apple notes. Yeah, but yeah, it cleanses your palate immediately. It's so it's not too bad. I uh, years and years and years ago, probably twelve years ago, invented a shot called the the Mexican sunburn, and it was a shot of tequila, reposado of whatever sort. Then it was a shot of hot sauce, Ooh. and then it was a shot of lime juice. So Gross. do them in success. What are you talking about? I'm like salivating right now. I was thinking about it. So the, what happens is you do the tequila and then the hot sauce yeah. obviously infuses those flavors. Yeah. And then the lime juice just totally balances and evens everything out. And then you're left with this like sort of like delicious, yeah. balanced, I think that would work spicy best lime juice. As crazy as it is with a reposado. And if you have an ex-bourbon cask, so you get those corn flavors like a corn tortilla, yes. hot sauce, lime, everything. Yes. Food pairing there. Jamie, let's do one. I don't know if Jamie's like that. Let's do that. one right now. I don't have any tequila, actually. <laughs> I have hot sauce, though. I have a shit ton of hot sauce. I don't, know, I don't even want to talk about this anymore. Um, All right, well, what's your favorite shot? You can't just say Jameson. Oh, okay. I, my personal opinion is this, and I will say this to anybody in their face, and I've done this a million times over. If you're too much of a pussy to handle a real shot of something, and you need some sort of backup, like a pineapple juice or King a Kong. shot or a pickle jar, pickle pickle juice then you're a pussy okay so fuck you if you want to do a shot man up and fucking do the shot so like if people ask me for a shot i'm like whiskey or tequila pick one like there's none of this fucking king kong garbage i we found uh at the time we were doing it's in the savoy i think it's the oldest drop shot is called a nosedive and that's uh you take a, a pony of gin uh put an olive in it and then drop that in ginger ale or soda or what have you on hand and take it back, the olive hits your nose, and you eat it after. So it's like room temperature gin in ginger ale with an olive after. Under the description, it said, this drink is most popular with the American Pilots Association. <laughs> the nosedive. I don't think they can promo that anymore. But yeah, 1930s drop shots, uh, the nosedive. That sounds disgusting. It all sound disgusting. Like a I would way rather shoot hot sauce, lime juice, and tequila than... Freaking room temperature, no. ginger ale, gin, and all ruin it. Just do tequila. <laughs> also, and then speaking of this consumption, I uh, I definitely feel that uh, I'd rather if we can. Yeah, sipping is, is yeah, uh, nice. I mean, like shots, shots yeah. sugar. Most people who want the pineapple <laughs> or whatnot chasers also want their mojitos with no Jeez. sugar. So. <laughs> no sugar. Yeah, exactly. Easy on the sweet with that yeah. one. You know? yeah. <laughs> I just don't want anything too sweet. Honey, the only, nothing's too nothing except too delicious. <laughs> Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so very much. It's thanks, been Chris. It's a pleasure. Blast. Um, Beautiful afternoon. Absolutely. Best of luck on your uh, forthcoming competition with Diageo. We uh, we expect great results from you. Hopefully you win and then... No pressure. Hopefully just, uh, just uh, put on a good performance and, and do the best we can and have fun. Yeah. All right. Just want to let everyone out there know we are on iTunes at the moment. So if you need to find us, we are on iTunes under Track and Food. And we are also on Stitcher. And do check out my website, Track and Food, on Medium. I'm going to be posting a new article there this week. And uh, thanks for listening. And I guess we'll talk to you another day. <laughs> <laughs>